1: everybody thanks for joining us today my name is ken swanson this is the ap laboratory it's the mailbag edition answering all of your questions y'all brought it as usual a great batch i'm gonna answer them for you right now and here to help me do that my dear pals first find them on twitter at chief in carolina matthew lane what is good with you this fine evening everything the chiefs are you know we're back to winning
2: football we got college football season is in the full swing. We almost have all the conferences that matter back. You know, Pac 12's lagging behind a little bit, but things are looking well. In no, the conferences that matter, you're good. Yeah, you say that to Justin Herbert. You say that to the best quarterback in the AFC West, the one that can actually throw the ball downfield. I'm kidding, guys. Did you just? I'm kidding, guys. That was a tweet <laughs> during the game, you know, because the. Greg, edit that out. Because Patrick Mahomes, you know, didn't have his best game this past week. Anywho. Craig Stout. The Renaissance man Hollywood hop, the barley stunner, the nicknames go on, but there's only so much you can do with a guy so famous. How are you doing this evening?
3: I was doing a lot better before that intro, but I'm doing well, you guys. I the Chiefs are doing well um the easy part of the schedule is coming up we're going to have a lot of fun conversations coming up over the next three weeks whether they win or lose they will be very fun conversations (laughs) and and yeah i'm really looking forward to it
1: yeah we've got some pretty cool stuff coming here on the ap laboratory that you're going to hear about here in the near future too so be on the lookout for that some pretty cool stuff but let's answer some questions And we'll start with a five-star review. Just a reminder, if you like what's going on on the Arrowhead Pride podcast channel, feel free to leave a five-star review when we see him. We answer your questions, and Bobo5252 did just that. And he said, hi, guys. Love the pod. Hope all is well. My question, who are your top offensive line prospects? I've been messing around on draft simulators to see what we could get. What about the OT from Minnesota? Would love to hear some feedback. I think offensive line or wide receiver is a must. Also seeing uh, some nice tight end prospects. What's your thoughts?
2: Oh, that's a a can of worms that Kent doesn't want opened already on this particular podcast.
1: I'll just sit back here. You go ahead. Let let Maddie cook.
2: So, offensive tackle on Minnesota. I was a little disappointed that he was a late scratch from the game against Michigan. Daniel Falele is how I like to pronounce his name. I'm not sure if that's correct. However, I really like him. I would like to see him show a little bit more technical improvement. He Right now, he's a massive 400-pound man that moves like a man that's like 290 pounds. Yeah, that it's wild. It looks that wild. He just needs to look like he can play offensive tackle a little bit. A guy that I really like is Alex Leatherwood. He's playing tackle for Alabama, but I think his best spot's going to be kicking inside to guard at the next level. But I really like his footwork. And for a guy that has good footwork, He kind of struggles on the outside. Like, I think he works best in a phone booth. So when you put him inside at guard, like he played earlier in his career, Alabama, I think he looked a little bit better. And that's where he would fit what the Chiefs are kind of moving towards, it looks like, on the offensive line. So he's one of my favorites. Another guy I love is Rashawn Slater out of Northwestern. You won't get to see him play this year, but he's another guy that played tackle. In college, it's going to kick inside, most likely, the NFL, assuming his arm length is what it looks like. I'm a sucker for guys that play tackle because you can either keep them there or kick them inside. I like just having the better feet you see from guys at offensive tackle. And when you can find a road grader at tackle in college and then move them inside of the NFL, I just think there's a lot of good luck to be had that way. So those are the guys that kind of have my, I mean, I could go on for the next 30 minutes, but I'm going to let Kent jump in here and see, you know, if I didn't take any of his favorite guys yet.
1: Well, you took Alex Leatherwood, who was where I was going. That's just real quick. I, I want to just say real quick. I think that's a guy that makes a lot of sense for this football team. The versatility plays a lot of different positions, has the ability to do that. There's a lot of versatility, you know, Andy Hex loving that. And I think that is a big plus for him. Um, I'm going to go, I'm going to go Dylan Radens, out of North Dakota state. He's a guy I got to watch a little bit. So I've already got my, I've already got, you know, an early initial grade on Trey Lance for the KC draft guide in 2021 I was not really impressed with Trey Lance when I watched his game this year against Central Arkansas, but I thought Dylan Radons did did some good things. It was a little disappointing watching that game because um, you you really didn't get to see him do much in the run run game. They were running to the right side, to the right tackle a lot. But Dylan Radons has some outstanding movement skills. I do think he needs to develop some more strength. I think that's going to be a big thing for him moving forward. Um, As he develops as a prospect, he's really got to rework his body, develop more functional strength, but movement skills are outstanding, good feet. Um, I think there's a lot of tools to work with. I don't, first round, end of first round, that that might be the kind of range that you look at a guy like that potentially. We'll look at his final grade, but I think that's where you could potentially see him. So that's a guy to keep an eye on for sure. And Uh, let's
2: complete the full circle. Let's get some center prospects. You know, Josh Myers out of Ohio State. He's a guy I don't think that does anything excellent, but he does everything solid. Like he's a quality football player. He's going to play in the NFL for a long time. A guy that I feel similar, but you could have him later in the draft is Jimmy Morrissey out of Pittsburgh. I'm trying to stick away from the guys that are super athletes that we've looked at in the past for the Chiefs, just because I don't know if they want guys that are super thin, that are made to do all their blocking in space. I feel like they want a little bit more of a stout presence up the middle, so I'm trying to adjust what I'm looking for a little bit in some of these interior guys, but I figured you know we talked about some offensive tackles kicking in. Rudeuns sh- should be able to play offensive tackle completely at the NFL level. So if I so we might as well round it out and get you some center prospects to keep your eyes out for too.
1: We're on it this year, fellas. Uh, I'm I. Uh, this is just thinking out loud on, and this is terrible podcasting, but I've thought I thought about maybe doing a draft show during the bye week. Let's just leave it at that. That might be a fun little thing to do. Maddie just smiled weirdly. The way you should you should see this. It's it's terrifying. Ap at gmail.com. If you uh, if you don't have a Twitter account, you want to ask your questions on the podcast. APNerdsquad at gmail.com is where you can do that. Grayson Jaspers did that asks what specifically did you see from Turk Wharton? Do you think he can stay consistent? Love the podcast, guys. Thanks for getting me through this snowy Monday. Thank you, Grayson.
2: I like what I... This is probably the best game that I saw out of Turk Wharton. I think he was the most consistent here. I mean, I think he's probably had some, maybe some flashier plays, but I feel like he did a pretty good job trying to stay gap sound. The Broncos were hurting the Chiefs a lot with counter-runs. That's what, All those runs off the right tackle that everybody saw that were big gains, they, so many of them were counter-runs that was just taking advantage of the Chiefs' linebackers a little bit and just catching that backside defensive end, creeping forward a little too far. But Wharton made a couple nice plays against the run throughout the game. He had a couple nice pass rush reps. I do think it's going to be sustainable. I don't know where the ultimate ceiling is because he is a relatively short not very long defensive tackle. I don't think he has the kind of athleticism and frame that translates to play any kind of defensive end. So he's a guy that's always going to be a little bit more of a sub package interior defensive lineman that you're using to shoot gaps, maybe provide a little bit of a pass rush presence. But I'll tell you this what, so far this season, I like what I've seen from Turk Wharton more than anything I saw from Colin Saunders last year or this year. I think that he has been a more productive player in the exact same mold. So that's good news, at least on the Turk Wharton front. I don't know how you're going to use both of those guys long-term, though, because they both kind of fill the same role. It's going to be interesting to see how those snaps work their way out as Sandos gets healthy again.
1: I tweeted out this week, you know, good ath- good athleticism and outstanding effort. like That gives you a chance in this league, and I think Treshawn Wharton has that to Maddie's point. There's not much more you're gonna be able to put on that guy's frame. I mean, he's maxed out probably there, but good athlete for his size, outstanding effort, and you know, I, I think they can still get enough out of him that he's a solid rotational piece moving forward. Some people are really optimistic that he's more than that, and I think that's real lofty for him. Um, I saw some people in my mentions, and not to just try to, you know, be a, a wet blanket, but I I don't know about anything more than just a solid rotational piece. John Eddie emailed in, if he keeps progressing at his current rate, what are the chances that Bill Gay is the leading tackler in the Super Bowl this year? Uh, 7% maybe.
3: I Listen, uh, Willie Gay Jr. is going to end up playing in the base for most of this year. I think I even tweeted out during the game that Spags needs to buck that man up. And then he did at the end of the game and, Well, frankly, they weren't great reps, and I know that we're going to get to that in a little bit here, but I just don't see him taking those nickel reps away from Damian Wilson or Anthony Hitchens anytime soon, and they don't trust him to call the fronts and the dime, so it's going to be base reps. So that's going to, and depending on the team, that's probably going to be limited reps. He's just not going to be on the field a ton, so I just don't know that there's really going to be the chance this year for him to come in and have a super huge game barring an injury. So as it stands right now, you just can't really factor him in in the Super Bowl at this point.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's certain levels of trust that some of these other guys have, but you saw some of the things that you've you got to be excited about moving forward with Willie Gay as he develops, as he kind of gets more comfortable with this level of football. But two plays on the football in the passing game and a really nice tackle behind the line of scrimmage to set the tone at the beginning of the game, He's gonna make some of these plays, but you know, there's 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 higher levels of trust with some of these other guys. All right, time for the Twitter questions. Tyler Lansdown, our guy asks, any players that you want to see going to the Chiefs at the deadline? Um, I I don't know that I have any specific players off the
3: top of my head here. I think that they really need to address offensive line and defensive end in particular. I think those two spots are really Weak right now. I think we're seeing that the offensive line's depth is being severely tested. I know Coleccio simile reportedly still hasn't had surgery. I'm I'm really not sure what's happening in that on that front. I know he's on IR now, but it doesn't seem like they're trying to get something done in a hurry here. So I'm not sure what's going to happen there. And then at defensive end, they just don't have a whole lot of guys that they can count on. So those would just be the positions that I would target. It's hard to say who's really going to be available at the deadline. I mean, for a hot minute this morning, Quinn and Williams was available, and then he wasn't immediately after that. So it's just a lot of rumors. It's a lot of stuff with a lot of big names that teams maybe float out, agents float out, trying to see what sort of value they can get for their players, trying to see if teams are going to willing to come up and bite for it. So. I'm not looking at names specifically, but those are the two spots.
2: The one name that kind of came that I thought of today for me is Ryan Kerrigan, defensive end for the Washington football team. He's on the last year of his contract. He has had quietly one of the most productive careers of a guy that you just would never think about ever in trying to talk about football over the last decade. But the guys had one season under seven sacks at the, the end of his year, that was his last year when he only played 12 games right now for Washington since they've spent three straight first round picks on defensive linemen he's playing about a third of their snaps or under he's playing between 15 and 30% of the snaps every single week he's still second on the team in sacks doing that but he's a guy that fits what Steve Spagnuolo likes at defensive end i don't know if you would necessarily bring him in to be a full-time starter but be a guy that mixes in plays around the same amount of snaps. You could probably work him into a little bit more as the season goes on. He could definitely be your Terrell Suggs type addition at the trade deadline. And I think the Chiefs desperately need another pass rusher across from Frank Clark. Tano Pasigno, Alex Okafor when he's healthy, Mike Dana when he comes back. These guys are solid defensive ends, but I don't think any of them are really threatening pass rushers whatsoever. And Taco Charlton's the only guy that's provided a little bit of juice off the opposite end, but Ryan Kerrigan's just significantly better all around so he's the one guy if I could just make a real offer to I would be calling up Washington convincing them that Kyle Allen isn't their future and they need more draft picks to go get a quarterback on the draft so you could steal Ryan Kerrigan who barely
1: plays from them we get a lot of questions we've gotten a lot of questions last three weeks about potential trade deadlines and I know it's a really fun topic and it's a really sexy topic um on the offensive line, I don't think that you're going to see them make a move. I would be kind of surprised by that. I do think they'll wind up adding somebody at some point here. And maybe it's one of these guys that's coming out back from an injury, but you look at Steven Wisniewski, he was a late late addition. I think there'll be something that pops up opportunity-wise to go grab an offensive lineman at some point in you know, along the interior, and that seems to be an easier way to address that. Um, you know, Maddie was kind of like laying out a bunch of different defensive end prospects, and there's a lot of guys out there that, you know, you're kind of throwing out there on some bad football teams, but contractually, it just, it, it's like Whitney Merciless is one guy we were talking about earlier, and it's just like his contract runs through 2024, there's an easy out after 2022, but that's two years on kind of a rotational pass rush type player for this football team. Weed Mouse asks, how did Willie Gay look in his garbage time nickel reps? All the hyped plays I've seen look like they were in base. This is a great question.
2: He looked athletic. Um, I don't know if I have a ton more positivity to say about it, because I think if you just watch the final offensive series for the Denver Broncos, you will see Willie Gay get coverage rep after coverage rep, and I think you very clearly see why he's not getting them currently. He's a guy, and this goes for when he's in the base personnel too, like when he's defending the run. He's a guy when you have to start working through multiple reads. So when he's having to read two things at the same time, whether it's run keys, offensive line, you know, run pass key from where their pad level is, or in this case for coverage, when he's having to read a wide receiver's route stem and the quarterback's eyes, he kind of struggles to get through them at the same time. He looks at one, then the other, then back to it. So there's multiple times where he's responsible for the first wide receiver to break out or to go to the flat, that he is extremely late if getting out there at all, just because he sees the receiver come off the line of scrimmage, he sees them release, then his eyes fixate on the quarterback for a little bit before he flips back to the receiver. He looks athletic going out there to cover that ground, But if teams were really able to play the short game... And he was out there on the field full time. I really do think you'd see some teams take advantage of him with tight ends and running backs just because there's still a learning curve in order to get him to understand Steve Spagnuolo's kind of zone match system. He's very clearly comfortable dropping into spot drop zones. He has very good zone awareness and spatial awareness. He just isn't on top of reading where wide receiver's routes going to take them and then how the quarterback's trying to look him off because a quarterback can do what a quarterback is a complete puppet master with Willie Gate with their eyes right now. And I think that's one of the big things that's kept him off the field up until this point.
1: Kenny with the YYK asks, do, do y'all think this team is better than last year's? <sighs> um, I think the ceiling of this football team is better than last year's. And the reason I say that is because I think the defense is a lot farther along than they were this time last year. Um, this is the second year in Steve Spagnola's defense, so you have another, you know, just a, a lot more familiarity with what they're doing. I think you have more talent um, in the secondary, uh, especially when a guy like Legarius Sneed gets back into the mix. So I think they're farther along defensively, and you know the ceiling of this offense. Now, you haven't seen, you know, the full reveal of this thing. You haven't seen a ton of high moments from this offensive football team, but if you think about this time last year, I think we'd aired the grievances twice already at least. So, it's kind of weird to contrast, you know, both of these football teams, but I do think that they're farther along and I that and because of that, I think, you know, I think there's more uh, the 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 pieces will get there. I, I think I know, and partially this is because of last year's football team, I think the pieces will come together in their in, in their entirety. I think the defense is farther along now and I think there's more places for it to go than last year.
2: I'm with Kent here. If you compare the teams kind of where they are right now at the same point in the season from this year to last year, I mean, obviously you had the Patrick Mahomes injury, but even without that, I think these teams are a little bit better. I think they're more well-rounded. The defense is already starting to gel. Last year, it took until late in the regular season and then into the playoffs for the offense to really hit its stride and look dominant. We haven't hit that point so far this season, but I mean, you just have to have faith that Andy Reid, Patrick Mahomes, and this offense... When they need to, they're going to be able to turn it on and get all things clicking just like they did last year. So, I mean, I would say if you were looking at this exact point last year and this year, I have higher expectations for this team in terms of how they're going to perform going into the playoffs. It's just hard because last year's team played so well through the playoffs. There was very few blemishes outside of slow starts, but once you got past the first you know, two drives of every single game of the playoffs, the team was pretty much lights out at all times. It's going to be hard to match that. But like Kent said, the ceiling for this team might be higher just because the defense is gelling a lot better early on.
3: Listen, the only stinker that this team has laid right now is against the Raiders, and that looks to be an anomaly based on what we've seen out of the Chiefs' defense so far this season. I just think that this team is significantly better through the first eight weeks of the season here. I'm going to go ahead and count that Jets game as a win, I think that they are just a better football team through the first eight weeks than they were last year. And almost all of it has to do with Spagnola having his scheme, having the foundation, and being able to feel like he can toy with things on the fly a little bit. So, yeah, this year's team is better.
1: That doesn't mean we can't acknowledge that there are mistakes with this football team. Oh, yeah. Plenty of them. We all want the Chiefs to win the Super Bowl. It might be harder this year for them to win the Super Bowl, so they need to make improvements on the things that they have and the faults that they have. That's just that's why we all make comments on some of these things. We want this team to win another Super Bowl. We're just trying to point out sometimes.
2: You mean it's not sustainable to go over for eight on third downs, have less than three hundred total yards of offense, and expect to win a Super Bowl?
3: It is when you've got Dan Sorensen on the other end, baby.
2: Maddie, just relax. This team won the Super Bowl last year.
4: We're going to take a break, and we will be back with more of your questions right after this.
0: Support for this podcast comes from Smart Water. Life moves pretty fast. Are you drinking water that can keep up? Smart Water Alkaline has everything you need to stay hydrated, no matter where your day takes you. Whether you're pitching a tent or your next big idea, Smart Water Alkaline can help you perform your best. It delivers a pure, crisp taste that makes it the perfect chaser after a big workout. Elevate how you hydrate and pick up a smart water alkaline today. To learn more, visit DrinkSmartWater.com.
5: Support for this episode comes from Viator. Sure, a good souvenir is always fun, but it's the experiences that people love the most about traveling. When you get back home, that t shirt might fade and that snow globe might break, but it's those once in a lifetime memories that will last. so you can have the information you need to book the best activities for your trip. When you book a travel experience with Viator, there's always flexibility and support with free cancellation, payment options, and 24/7 service. Make memories that will last forever with Viator. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. One app, over 300,000 travel experiences you'll remember. Do more with Viator.
1: All right, uh, just an absolute barn burner to start the second half of this show out of the break. Graver Tanner asks, who is more valuable, Nick Kaiser or Ben Neiman?
2: I feel like it should be illegal to phrase this question in the manner that it's phrased. I'm going to go with Nick Kaiser because the only time he's a major detriment is like when you actively throw him the football. And like I understand you can't not just throw him the football if he's wide open. You design plays for him when he's left wide open, so on and so forth. But like I can control when Nick Kaiser gets the ball thrown to him a lot better than I can control when Ben Neiman has the ball thrown to him or a player near him. Because when he's on the field, it seems to be like 93% of the time, the offense just says, our play call is going at that guy. And it works most of the time. Nick Kaiser, you know, he had the drop. He had the fumble. If you remove the fumble, Nick Kaiser had a day, right? Like if he just falls down instead of fumbling, the guy was the second leading receiver on the team on two catches. They schemed him wide open. He made his catches. He just forgot to hold on the ball one time. He's a solid blocker as a tight end. You know He's useful for the team, even if not great. And I control when he can mess things up. Whereas Ben Neiman, who?
3: Yeah, that 93% of the time that the offense targets him, it works ninety percent of the time. It, it's really rough. Um, yeah, I think it's Kaiser for me as well. As much as I want to go with Ben Neiman here, but frankly, this is these are the two spots that Chiefs fans just love to sit and watch fall apart in front of their eyes. The tight end two spot has been a problem for years and years and years. Demetrius the Harris was great. Lo- I Listen, Demetrius Harris dropped plenty of balls, and people disliked him too. Since Derek Johnson started falling apart, the Chiefs haven't really had a linebacker that they've been able to hang their hat on that could cover either, and it's just been a problem. So both of these spots are just where Chiefs fans love to hate, but yeah, because like Maddie said, I can control when Nick Kaiser gets the ball. Andy's he's a better blocker on special teams than Ben Neiman is. So I'm going to go with the guy that spring bring Br- Byron Pringle for a 102 yard touchdown run.
1: And just like that, we lost all of our listeners from Iowa. Apologies. It's, I mean, I don't even want to try to pick the fun. I just want to say the funny thing is there's four tight ends on this roster. <laughs> and Nick Kaiser is tight end two. Explain that to me.
3: Because he probably should be tied into.
1: <laughs> Ricky Seals-Jones, if if Ricky Seals-Jones survives some of these IR returns, I'm going to be upset. I'm sorry. If they move on from somebody other than Ricky Seals-Jones right off the top, like, what are we doing here?
2: For him, it has to be that there's so many plays designed with Travis Kelsey split out wide or ISOed that they feel like they need a Quote, unquote, but, athlete. No. Nope, nope. Quote, unquote, athlete. I got a rant coming. Look.
4: Hold on. I, I've got this question. Well, if if Travis Kelsey goes down, then, then Ricky Seals Jones could step in. Travis Kelsey turns. He makes cuts. Ricky Seals Jones, it takes a – if he – if he had to run a dig, if, if he had to run a dig two weeks ago, he'd still be trying to get out of his break. He tried to turn himself into a tight end from a big receiver and wound up just sapping any ability to change direction. We joke about DK Metcalf's ability to change direction. DK looks like Tyreek Hill
2: changing direction compared to, to, to Rick Seals. Joe. i don't disagree with you i just have not seen anything from Dion yelder or nick kaiser to make me think that they can be split out wide either i think the offense should just change entirely if they lose travis kelsey don't try to be bad at what you right. do change your offense to i don't know center around tyree kill or your running backs or anybody else but that's the only reason i can fathom that he's still on the roster is they want a tight end <laughs> that they can split out and isolate and they think that he's a isolated better athlete. so he can
4: do what oh we got the matchup we wanted the guy that runs straight
2: runs is a strong word too
1: <laughs> i'm sorry it's so it's sad to see ricky seals jones the way he moves now like he was never he was kind of always a linear player i mean he made like
2: Treadwell look athletic so
1: Oh, my goodness. I don't understand. Like, I'm sure Ricky Seals Jones is a nice kid, but I just called him a kid. I'm 31. Kyle K. asks, seems like defensive tackle is one of our strongest groups on the team. Did we see enough from Chris Jones on the field outside to shift him to defensive end and keep rotating Colin Saunders, Derek Noddy, Mike Pinnell, Treshawn Wharton through the interior?
3: No. No, <laughs>
1: no, not at all.
3: Um, uh, listen, Chris Jones was fine as a dime rusher, but you even see some of the limitations out there. The pressure that he got on the uh, drag that Daniel Sorensen was a little bit in trail and Drew Locke had a missed throw that I highlighted in my article. You got to see a guy that thought for a second about dipping his shoulder, trying to get underneath the tackle, and then realized, listen, that's not my game, and bull rushed the guy backwards. He is fine in limited reps in the dime out there. Steve Spagnuolo didn't even put him as a base defensive end, and that's where they were getting torched. That's where they were getting beat. The absolute worst was on the ground, those cutbacks that Philip Lindsay was hitting, making Damone Harris and Tano Pasigno just look bad on a lot of those cutbacks. They didn't even think for a second about putting Chris Jones out there in that position and trying to ask him to hold the backside edge. I don't think that they really trust him in the run game. We saw that against Tennessee in the regular season last year, and that was due to emergency. Even when they were depleted this year against the Broncos, they didn't even really put him out there. So no, I don't think he's a defensive end. Let him rush from the interior, and an occasional
1: defensive end dime snap is just fine with me. Cat McCorbin asks, let's assume Mike McCarthy gets fired after this season. If you're Eric bien would you rather have the Dallas, Atlanta, or Houston job?
2: Well, I think the most common answer here would probably be Houston to work with Deshaun Watson, but uh, give me the better quarterback. I would go to Dallas and use Dak Prescott and Michael Gallup. I'm bringing him back. We can get rid of Cooper, whoever wants him can come have him. We're going to run this offense through the best quarterback of this bunch and Dak Prescott and we're throwing the ball to Gallup and C.D. Lamb, and we're just going to continue to score 8 billion points. Well, you know, we'll worry about defense eventually. He's been in Kansas City. He knows how bad defense works. But, yeah, I would take the Dallas job. Just based on the pieces that they have, you get in there as Eric bien and you make it well known that you want Dak Prescott to be your guy going forward. You're not dealing with any of the nonsense. That's the move you make. Better
1: quarterback. Best job. Dude, Maddie very vehemently made it clear what he was saying there because he repeated it like four times and me and Craig's jaws are just dropping. <laughs> it's give me the better quarterback. Matt, right? I'm just kidding. Dallas too. Matt, right No, Deshaun Watson. I'm riding with Deshaun Watson. Still look, I Maddie, Maddie is the lowest on Deshaun Watson of all of us. And, and some of his points are valid. He's kind of been a Yolo ball guy in his career. I also think that Deshaun Watson is a more creative player than Dak Prescott. Maybe Dak is a little bit more consistent in some areas. I think Deshaun is more creative. I think Deshaun, I think both are great leaders, don't get me wrong. I want to ride or die with Deshaun. I think Deshaun and Eric Bieniemy together is a really good dynamic. Imagine Eric Bieniemy and Jerry Jones. I think that would be a terrible situation for Eric B because Jerry Jones is the worst. I think he's just, he's a dumpster fire.
3: The only thing that we can all agree on is that it's not Atlanta. Cause ain't nobody want to go there with Matt Ryan and that massive contract that you can't get out from under from a long, long time. Okay.
1: Matt's about to dunk on me. Are
2: we sure B would get along better with Houston's upper management than he would with Jerry Jones?
1: I think Houston's having a come to Jesus moment and having moments of honesty and understanding that the way they tried to do it with, with Bill O'Brien is just a giant mistake. I think that I think there will be changes made and I think it'll be for the positive.
2: Dak Prescott used to run five miles to practice in college do practice, be the leader, run five miles home, and he did it because he would pick up guys along the way that didn't have a way to get there, like walk-ons and guys like that that couldn't get to practice via their own car or anything. Don't tell me about riding or dying with Deshaun Watson when I got Dak Prescott in my back pocket. Finally, how are you rebuilding the Houston Texans? What's your plan if you're Eric bien to draft
1: people in the 100s for the next 18 years? That's fair. That's a fair point. But also, Eric Bienemy's is not really going to have that much say in the draft. Because Jerry Jones is going to get on all the websites and read everybody's input and just take whoever Draft Quit Twitter thinks is awesome. Because that's what he does every CD-YM. single year. At worked that time. Uh, Burt Wilkinson asks if uh, Matt Nagy or uh, Jim, uh, Doug Peterson are fired and Bien-Aimé gets Eric Bienemy gets a head coaching job. Would you rather have Mike, Mike Kafka or the or Nagy Peterson be the offensive coordinator next year? Mike Kafka, I believe Mike Kafka is already. I think he's got some love. He's gotten some raises here recently. Kafka and Patrick Mahomes are kind of attached at the hip here right now. You got to understand, Kafka was a, a more or less his personal quarterback coach his rookie year. There was some things that Matt Nagy had to do, uh, you know, to try to you know win football games with Alex Smith, Kafka and Mahomes have kind of been, you know, guys that have kind of been just a- attached at the hip. I think Kafka. I'm not sure Kafka doesn't hold off and just become the head coach and waiting for Andy Reid when the, when the time comes. I really think there's an outside chance that he just holds out to you know have Patrick Mahomes as his quarterback for the last 10 years of near the first 10 years of his existence as a head coach would not be stunned by that at all. I think it'd be a good move for him. Give me Kafka, keep riding the Kafka wave and see where it takes you. JT Penfield asks, asks, looking back to the KC draft guide, are there a couple of the my guys, uh if you don't know, it's just guys that we kind of put our stamps on that we love. Uh that y'all feel good that you hit on. Conversely, are there a couple guys you think you might have missed on?
2: So with only one year, it's hard to predict out, like these guys are rookies. It's hard to predict out some of these guys that I think we missed on, even the guys that are in their second year. It's just so early on in the process to think you missed. But I mean, for a miss, I think Akeem Adeneji is a guy that I thought would be a little bit more prepared to come in and make some waves early on. He just really hasn't got a shot. He went much later in the draft than I thought he would have been. So I mean, that's one guy. But as far as hits... I feel really good about saying Jeremy Chen is essentially a better version of Isaiah Simmons. I think that's played out really well so far. I think he's actually been Woo. a linebacker. He's looked better. So I mean that's one. And then the other one that I mean, there's a couple. I feel like I did pretty good this last year predicting my guys, but I also took some guys at the top end of the draft. But Yitor Gross Matos. I had a first round grade on. I don't I know a lot of people weren't near as high on him as, you know, that was, but when he's got some reps, he's looked really good here in the NFL early on. So like he's a guy that not everybody loved, that I thought was worthy of a high pick in the draft, and it's looked good so far to start. And I think his ceiling's only going up.
3: Yeah, as far as misses for me, um, Jeff Gladney has been bad. This year, uh, he he's not he, he's getting outsnapped by Cameron Danzler right now. That Minnesota Vikings secondary is a mess. I still think there's plenty of hope for him because, you know, everything we know about Jeff Gladney, he's a fighter. He loves football. It just seems weird and odd to me that he's just not picking stuff up. But again, cornerback coming off of a covid year and no offseason. It's kind of hard to get as far as guys that hit Jalen Johnson is a guy that I loved the year before when it started and or when we started doing a lot of our draft prep. Loved him, thought he was a Spags zone-style corner. And, I, you know, as the season went along, he was just a pretty good player. And I put a My Guy stamp on him. He has been great for the Bears so far this season. And then the other guy, I'm finding these third-round safeties that the Colts love. Last year, it was Kari Willis. This year, it's Julian Blackman. Julian Blackman has been very good for them as well. That Colts defense is legit, and it just seems like they keep finding these you know, day two guys that can come in and not only play at a high level, but like play at a, a super high level. Like they're getting more out of these guys than guys are getting out of their first round picks right now. So Julian Blackman, a guy out of Utah that I loved as a safety stepping right in there with Kari Willis has been pretty darn good.
1: I feel good about a couple of the running backs that I had some, my guy stamps on Clyde Edwards, Alaire, He's okay. Um, I, he was a guy that I, you know, I think honestly, all of us really high, I think Maddie has the earliest receipt on Clyde Edwards, helaire of all of us back in November of 2019. I'm not going to let that slide. Make sure everybody knows that was Maddie Lane was early too. Um, so I, I was, I had a, my guy stamp on Clyde Edwards, helaire but but I, I think the guy I'm flexing on the most is Antonio Gibson because I put him at running back. I projected him at running back instead of receiver. Um, and then, you know, I think he's had, a, he's had an ultra-productive season so far. Some of the metrics really like Antonio Gibson, which I think is awesome, um, as a running back. My miss, um, is it's Bryce Hall. And, you know, Bryce Hall, you know, I, he's had some really horrific injury, you know, past. And I think that's really been a detriment to his projection moving forward. Um, I really like the player. I believe in the player. Even though the athletic profile was poor, I love the football character. I love the instincts. I love the ball skills. Unfortunately, um, it just seems like he's kind of behind the eight ball when it comes to the injury side of it, and it's going to be worse than we all anticipated and we all hoped. Um, you know, we, kinda, you know we, we try to take injuries into account too much when we're trying to do our evaluations in the KC draft guide because that's one of the things that's really behind a veil. Um, when it comes to kind of evaluating players, um, that's, that's one of the really poorly or really best kept kind of, you know, elements of this that we don't really get great access to. So we try not to incorporate that too much in our evaluations when we're doing this stuff. But Bryce Hall's was way worse than I think we thought. Uh, and it's evidence he's on the non-football injury list. He hasn't even you know played yet. So, uh, that's kind of a bummer because I really liked the player and I was really hoping the Chiefs were going to go grab him. Chief burner. Asks pick two of the three for the top two picks for the Chiefs: Terrace Marshall, the wide receiver out of LSU; Jalen Mayfield, the tackle out of Michigan, or Quiddy Pay, the edge out of Michigan. This must be a Michigan guy. This sounds like a—is this Moly Salt in a in disguise? I don't know.
2: Well, I and mean, I would trade my first two picks to move up in the draft to take Quiddy Pay who I think is probably going top 10 in the draft. I think just, I mean, the one game, it's going to be really hard for the Chiefs to get Quiddy Pay, especially if he tests anywhere close to what he supposedly did, according to Bruce Feldman's freak list. So by proxy or by result of that, I have to go with Terrace Marshall and Jalen Mayfield. I don't love Mayfield for the Chiefs. I think he's the kind of guy that they would look at. And before a super athletic guy that really struggles with his core strength, his play strength, much more of a mover in space trying to refine his technique then he is a stout kind of powerful player. I just think they're moving away from that a little bit, but he's still a solid prospect. If you get him at the end of anywhere on day two, but especially if you get him at the end of the second round and Terrace Marshall I think you're seeing it. Justin Jefferson's been lighting it up in the NFL, playing slot receiver for LSU. That's where they put their best guys. They put him there for a reason. He's doing phenomenal with it. So, you know, I'd be happy with those guys, but Quidipe, he's going to be a stud this year. I mean, he's going to tear up college football, but the dude is 272 pounds and his three-cone is near record setting, reported three-cone is near record setting for defensive backs. Like, what he does is just not fair. He's built like a brick house excuse my language but he is just that thick and dense and as long as he keeps improving his pass source technique which he's done so far he's
1: good to go darren d pig asks what would you give up for jj Watt? and could the chiefs take his tap cap hit this year
3: uh, the chiefs could take his cap hit if they really wanted to it wouldn't require too much to move around but Honestly, guys, J.J. Watt is having one of the worst seasons he's had in a little while. I, I just think that he's slowing down a little bit. That injury's bothering him. Yes, he is very dissatisfied in playing on a bad football team. But as fun as it would be to go out there and say, hey, Houston, you need picks. Here's a second round pick. Give us 31-year-old J.J. Watt. I just don't know how much they'd be able to get out of him. I think it would be kind of a one-year deal because you don't want to pay his roughly $17.5 million cap hit next year alongside Chris Jones and Frank Clark's cap hits. That's just a lot of money in the defensive line in a year that the cap is probably going to go down a little bit. I don't think that that's a that's a wise move to do here when he's just not showing the same production that he has in the past.
1: Moly salt. Speaking of Molly salt, uh, is Byron Pringle next year, next season, Sammy Watkins' replacement? I don't think so, and I think Sammy Watkins could replace Sammy in some capacity. I believe the Chiefs will find a way to invest in that ex-wide receiver. It might be Sammy Watkins again, frankly. Maybe they can come to an agreement with Sammy. Maybe Sammy goes out and sees what his market is, doesn't love it, comes back to Kansas City on on a on a decent deal, you know. Um, but I do think that they will actively try to upgrade that position. Maybe Byron Pringle does a little bit more throughout the rest of this year, shows some more. Um, obviously, I very good. I, I really enjoy watching Byron play, P- Pringle play. I you know I, I think he deserves every opportunity he gets and probably more but I do think that they've got to continue to be mindful about investing in the wide receiver position. I think they need a different kind of guy. I think they need a little bit higher ceiling than what you're getting out of out of Byron Pringle uh, and someone that they believe that they're going to be able to trust enough before injuries, because the only reason Byron Pringle's really gotten these opportunities is because of injuries. So there's probably a level of trust they have with some guys moving forward um, that, you know, maybe there's a higher ceiling, you know, in, in some capacity that they like better. Patrick Mahomes asks, would you be opposed to sending two firsts to New or to New England for Stephon Gilmore? Twitter went absolutely bananas over the Ramsey to KC rumors last year. Ramsey's four years younger, but Gilmore is still the best corner in the game right now.
3: I'm not sure if Gilmore's the best corner in the game right now. He, nah, he's... Top 10? Yes, absolutely. And he's playing, again, on a bad team. And I would give up a first for Stephon Gilmore, especially under his current contract structure. I think I would be just fine fitting him into the cap for the Chiefs here. But the difference is, this is you know, the, the Ramsey trade was one of those situations around the same sorts of picks that the Chiefs are going to have. So teams are roughly going to value them about the same. And the Rams got to decide... When they paid Ramsey and they got a cheap year out of the deal as well. It's not like they had to inherit a big contract. They got to play for another year to try and go all in and then paid him and structured it to fit in with the rest of their contracts. Chiefs aren't going to do that for an older cornerback here, especially when Steve Spagnuolo has routinely gotten the most out of his cornerbacks. I would trade for a guy like Stephon Gilmore because he helps lock things down I just don't think that there's any realistic chance that the Chiefs would go out of their way to spend you know, serious, serious draft capital like two firsts on a guy like Stephon Gilmore.
2: I think last year when you were looking at trading for Jalen Ramsey, you were looking about, like Greg said, building your team around him going forward. It was a future move. You can't do that after you've done some of these other contracts that the Chiefs have put out. Like That's the big hang up. So if you're trading two firsts, I'm expecting that guy to be part of my team going forward. I don't know if you the Chiefs trade for Gilmore if they're utilizing him for more than the rest of his contract, which would be just the rest of the season and next year. So that right there already takes off the second first round pick off the table for me. And then on top of that, at this point in time last year, I feel like the Chiefs didn't really have the horses in the stable to think they had some answers at cornerback going forward. And you didn't know if you were going to be able to win the Super Bowl with the level of cornerback play they had this year or last year. At this point in time, they know they can win it with what they have. From what we've seen out of Legereus Sneed, he's looked really good. Rashad Fenton's improved. The cornerback position looks better, and you already know last year was good enough. I don't think they're as desperate at the position as they were last year. And like I said, I just don't think you can make Stefan Gilmore or any highest paid corner a center stone to this defense the way the salary cap is looking.
1: The Real case swag. Are people overreacting when they say the Chiefs should cut Harrison Butker? I've been seeing more and more of this lately.
3: Yes, people are overreacting. They're not cutting Harrison Butker, if only because they would lose money. Like, they, he he has more dead money than than he's owed this season. It's not like they save anything by doing that. He's missing extra points. He's not currently missing field goals. It is something that they have a little bit of leeway now because they're winning these games big. If he continues to do it and they get towards the end of the year and they feel like that is the thing that's going to hold them back. Like, let's say he misses another five extra points in the next seven games. Then maybe you start looking at him and you start saying, listen, son, it's time we got to move on because we are not getting into the playoffs and losing a game because of a couple missed extra points.
1: Alex Brewer asks and also just shout out to Heisman Dan and also old S6 for asking the same questions or similar questions. Which AFC team is the biggest threat to preventing the Chiefs from returning to back-to-back Super Bowls? I think it's the Pittsburgh Steelers. I've been very impressed with them and they have a fantastic defense with a good pass rush and uh, functional enough offense I think that they could present some threats. I don't want to see that offense get hot. I think they do have a lot of quality weapons. Um, I think it's a very solid football team. I don't think that they necessarily deserve to be undefeated right now. I think they should probably have at least, an, at least one loss under their belt. Um, but I do really like this football team. I like their defense and how they're built better than a team that probably winds up showing up here uh, in the counters to this.
2: About to catch everybody with the curveball. The Baltimore Ravens are going to be my pick, and it's a team that I don't think has been competitive with the Chiefs at all the last two times they've played. I think they match up horrendously with the Chiefs. So, like, why would they be the biggest reason? Well, Buffalo Bills' defense is absolutely garbage, and I don't trust Josh Allen whatsoever to outscore Patrick Mahomes when their defense is that bad. The Pittsburgh Steelers, Ben Roethlisberger is going to give you multiple chances to go win the game from them every single time you play. I mean, you saw that again this weekend. They have a great front seven of their defense. Their secondary has been pretty bad. And just Ben Roethlisberger can't throw vertically whatsoever. I won't go on anybody else. I just want you mentioned those two teams right now, but the Ravens. If the Chiefs don't play an A-plus game, if the Chiefs don't come out scheming to beat the Ravens, if the Ravens maybe mix up their defensive game plan a little bit and play the Chiefs how everybody else plays them, I think there's a chance that the Chiefs and the Ravens game can stay closer as long as the game is close. The Ravens can keep running the ball. I still think if you can find a way to keep your score close to the Chiefs and the Ravens can play their style of football, the run game, the option game... It can be a tricky matchup for the Chiefs. I have zero doubt the Chiefs will beat the Ravens if Lamar Jackson's having to drop back and throw the football. I just don't know how confident I am that the Chiefs will consistently make sure that happens, especially if the Ravens switch it up and just allow their secondary to play a bunch of coverage, quit trying to blitz Mahomes, and see what happens that way.
3: I'm going to take a Matty answer. The only team that can stop the Chiefs from going to the Super Bowl is the Chiefs, you guys. If they play well... It's, it's over. Uh, what you saw against the Raiders, which the Raiders appear to be a much better team than we've given them credit for, but what you saw them do against the Raiders was shoot themselves in the foot repeatedly through miscommunications, drop passes, turnovers, things that you just can't do, period. And they still should have won that game easily. The Chiefs need to show up every week. They can even have off games from half of the, you know, half of the team, like they did against the Broncos this week, when they all show up, they are
1: unbeatable. Al Haig asks, if the Chiefs value a second tight end so much, why haven't they drafted one? I don't know if they value a second tight end as much
2: as they utilize one. When you utilize a second tight end, they're mostly a blocker. They're a guy that you occasionally throw the ball to on a mismatch or you scheme them open which is exactly what the Chiefs have done since they lost Demetrius Harris. Demetrius Harris did provide some level of mismatch. They haven't gone out after a guy like that since then. Your tight tied into, gets schemed open plays, and is a blocker, that's a player you should be able to pick up as an undrafted free agent every single year. There's countless of guys like that in the NFL. That's what the Chiefs seem to look for as a tight end 2 They're not trying to run 12 personnel as part of their main offense. They'd rather have speed spread the field out. So they like to utilize a tight end to, I just don't think they value it very highly at all.
1: Yeah. I I think there's a disconnect between how much you see a tight end to on the field and the mistakes they make when they're on the field and how much the chiefs actually value it. Because like we talked about Nick Kaiser, Dion Yelder, Rick seals, Jones, Kay gumminger asks if you could take one player off each team, the chiefs have beat this year. Who are the six players you are taking Forget salary cap. Let's live in the dream world. Uh, So uh, there's six wins, just so everybody knows. Texans, Chargers, Ravens, Patriots, Bills, and Broncos. We're doing a snake draft. Craig, kick us off. Well, you all know that
3: I'm going defense. This is easy, right? Nope. I'm not going defense. I'm taking Stephon Diggs off of the Buffalo Bills, and I'm putting him in this offense And he's going to be my ex-receiver, and this offense is going to click. He is going to challenge all areas of the field, and you get to line him up opposite Tyreek Hill. Guys, Patrick Mahomes scores 40 a game, easily, every single game. If he's got Stephon Diggs and Tyreek Hill on the field, I'm going with Diggs. And Maddie looks mad. Maddie looks upset here. Oh,
2: Stephon Diggs was my first pick here too. I think that Stefan Diggs is an absolute elite wide receiver and putting him on the Chiefs would be absolutely unfair. So he would have been my first pick. So I have to audible. I'm going to take Lamar Jackson. And going back to the question that we just had before, who stands in the way of the Chiefs going to the Super Bowl? Baltimore Ravens. Guess how they can't stop the Chiefs from going to the Super Bowl? If they don't have Lamar Jackson and the chiefs could use wide receiver help. So, you know, slide Jackson out there and we're good to
1: go. You're the worst. (laughs) Like just the worst, like in every facet. Uh, I'll go with the, I'm, we're doing a little snake draft here. So I'm going last and then I'm going again. I'm going to take Stefan Gilmore off of the new England Patriots. And it sounds like he might be available for trade, but I mean, very obviously, uh cornerback help as much, as much as this as as much success as this team has had without really investing significantly in the cornerback position. I think Stephon Gilmore is like is it's a great move here. Um, I'm gonna take who I thought that Maddie was going to take before the show. We decided to do this this completely blind. I just I guess that Maddie was gonna take this guy, and this was gonna kind of be a Maddie answer. I'm taking Derwin James from the Chargers because it's, it's Maddie's favorite player, and it's not a move for 2020, but it's a move for the future, and Maddie gets one of the best safeties in football and one of his favorite players. Maddie, who you got next?
2: I'm upset that we didn't get Joe Tooney, actually. that That hurts me to my very <laughs> core. And now I'm torn because I'm not touching the Texans with a 10-foot pole. That's a dumpster fire. Uh, So when I'm looking at the Broncos, I'm either taking, you know, since I can't take Tooney, I'm either taking Dalton Risner, who's been a lot better in the NFL than I thought he would be. He's actually a very good interior offensive lineman. Or I'm taking Alexander Johnson, linebacker on the other side of the ball, who would actually provide a playmaking, smart, intelligent, ready-to-play right now linebacker. We've added oh, two people on each side, so I don't know which way to go with this. I'm going to make it easy on Craig. I'll take Dalton Risner. I'll leave him somebody to take from the Texans. So we'll take Dalton Risner. We'll shore up one of those interior offensive line spots, get a quality offensive lineman to, you know, hopefully protect Patrick Mahomes a little bit better.
3: You guys don't understand what just happened. Just like in some of your fantasy drafts where you sit there and you take a player and you think, man, really wanted that other guy. And then that other guy falls all the way down to you. My man Brennan Scarlett's coming over to the Chief <laughs> from the Texans. He's coming in. He's going to play the Sam. So that Willie Gay Jr. has to play the Will. They are going to put him in that spot. They're going to make him play there. We're moving on from Damian Wilson just so Willie Gay can get on the field. This benefits me greatly and I get my Sam, Brennan Scarlett. That is the deepest reference in the history of this show. That's
1: year one, right? Year year two? Something oh like that. Oh l- yeah. my, it's so good. It was right after Spags was hired. Yep. Oh my goodness. J.J. Watts left on a, a, a
2: platter, deep- and this man takes Brandon Scarlett.
1: <laughs> hey, look. I don't, I'm not knocking. The brand
3: it. is strong. The brand I, is I'm strong. Not,
1: I'm fine with not having to hear a JJ Watt press conference. JT or LT Navratil asks In high school, they had a rule where if you had a 35 point lead, they kept the clock running. Do you guys think they should implement that rule specifically for this week to save the lives and sanity of as many Jets fans as possible? We will be previewing Chiefs Jets. Please listen, even though it's going to be a blowout, and we all know it. And we're all going to pick blowouts because we can all pick blowouts and still pick them to cover, the Jets to cover somehow. Uh, We'll be talking about the Jets-Chiefs game later this week. Thank you all so much for listening to the AP Laboratory Mailbag. Be sure to check out everything on the AP Podcast channel. We'll catch you later.
3: We had Joey Bosa, Vaughn Miller, Bradley Chubb,
0: and didn't pick any of them. Support for this podcast comes from Smartwater. Want to get a little more from every sip? Smartwater Alkaline doesn't just taste crisp and pure. It's loaded with everything you need to perform at your best, whether you're running marathons or boardroom meetings. Elevate how you hydrate and pick up a Smart Water Alkaline today. To learn more, visit drinksmartwater.com.